Welcome to episode 218 on the Modern Drummer Podcast with Mike and Mike. This episode is brought to you by Evans Drumheads. You may have seen, or if you haven't seen, they just released a two-ply version of their uh, very popular UV series drumheads. So it's called the UV2. So this is two plies of 7 mil film, and then they put a, a coated, a special patented proprietary UV cured coating on top. It's different than your standard spray paint uh, coating. So this is designed to be a little bit more durable, quite a bit more durable, uh, a bit more punchy, more focused. If you try the UV1 heads and you've liked them, this will be the two-ply version of that, which for me, um, I love the UV1. I have one a kit that I gig with and I, the heads have been on there for well over a year and they've showed zero wear. So I'm super excited to get these UV2s on the same kit to see if they can bring a little bit more fatness and low-end punch. Um, and also go to uh, the Evans YouTube page and check out some of the really cool videos they've released to promote this stuff featuring Nate Smith, Sarah Thar. Uh, Adam Deitch and several others. So again, check out the Evans UV2 drumheads, and uh, we're going to get the show started with me stumbling through the Eulogy Danny Carey beat. I am playing over top of a loop, uh, an exact programming of the beat that I put into my Arturia Drum Brute Impact drum machine. So you'll hear the drum machine by itself. I hit some of the variation buttons to make it do some fills. Then I struggle to play on top of it, and then we'll get the show going. All right, thanks. I'm ready, dude. Beautiful. Happy Monday, everyone. Thank you for your patience. I've got to. Oh headphones. yeah, yeah. It's Monday, dude. <laughs> People. Are, well, I I know what it is, but I I forgot that some of our loyal listeners that take the release the Friday release very seriously yeah. could have been extremely fired up. I get a like, lot of a lot of DMs. Hey, no podcast today. <laughs> I, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Because uh, I can't drive to work until I see that it's been released. So either I'm yeah. not going to work or you better release this podcast. Yes. So thank you for your patience. This is episode 218. We delayed it on purpose um, because I was attending the Progressive Arts Society International Convention and I wanted to make sure we recapped it while it's fresh on my mind rather than wait till next week when I probably would forget all the cool stuff. So I apologize for my, my voice. It probably sounds really crazy. I lost my voice uh, Thursday night, Friday night. Typical at a super loud bar, just yelling and screaming, and I, I like literally felt it pop. Like, oh, I don't have a voice now. So it's that's been funny. F- I was gonna say, how do you lose your voice? You don't say anything in public ever. Well, <laughs> you just stand there and like you usually <laughs> you hold your drink lightly. It'll be like that for the night, and then you just nod a lot and you go like, "Cool, man. Hey, what's up?" And then no one, no one approaches you for the hug in the social situation. They come in with a crisp, crisp gentleman like handshake. So, so were you with friends? Were you among friends? How did you lose your voice? Well, yeah, it's just, you know, after hours getting together with various industry friends, we just kind of bar hop. And, um, you know, when it's 8,000 decibels in a bar and you're trying to talk to someone you haven't seen in a year, you know, you got to yell pretty much for an hour straight. So it just pops. And how was the weather there? Freezing cold. Oh, they're in full winter? Yeah, Midwest in in November is is no fun. I've come to learn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, I'm in a a tricky spot right now because we are – in a 
place where we're not normally in. Normally, winter has settled in, and, and I live in Northern California. For any of you outside the country that think that California is just Baywatch, it's a huge state. It's a very big state. <laughs> I live in Northern California. We do have seasons, and we do have winter. Our winters are obviously mild, but we still have winters. Anyways, normally by now, it'd probably be you know, in the 50s and six, like low 60s would be our high. Well, our highs right now, every day, uh, it hasn't stopped, has been 75. So we have this springtime wow. weather. What's going on? Well, that's what sucks. It's like, this is amazing, and I'm getting in all these great rides, but I know it's because our Earth is dying. <laughs> and that's like, there's a guilt in enjoying this amount of weather. And it sucks because I'm like, this can't be right. This is wrong, but God, it feels good. Oh, blissful but, ignorance. Uh, right? Um <laughs> It, it doesn't even matter that it all started in the Industrial Revolution. I still blame our, blame our current leader. It's all his fault. I'm like, it, it, it had nothing to do with it, but it's all his fault. So, uh, so yeah, it's, it's, I'm in a tough situation where I'm loving the weather, but I know it's wrong. I know it's not a good thing. It should not be 75 every day in the middle of November in yeah. Northern California. And I saw so. that even like Houston had like 30 degrees over this weekend. So there's oh, wow. some weird extremes. It's all out on. of whack. Yeah. 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 All yeah. out of whack. All right. Well, before we get in any trouble talking about things we don't really know anything about, <laughs> let's talk about PASIC. So now we got to talk up. about the stupid eulogy beat. Come on. Oh, God. I tried to skip it. I tried to forget <laughs> it. Well, okay. You got. So they've heard yours. They've heard the intro. They'll have to stick around to the end. Uh, no reason to, to hear mine. Uh, I will let you you know that unlike the diligent mr michael dawson i didn't practice it at all and then i read the rundown this morning monday morning and it said johnston outro groove eulogy and i was like you gotta be shy me come on man so i jumped on the kit tried to relearn it from scratch and try to really get into it and i will say it's it's a frustrating groove it really yeah. is. I've come to the conclusion um, that it will never feel good. It might sound smooth. It might sound good. But it's one of those, I kind of think, like, when you see a ballet dancer, it's so graceful and it looks so effortless. But inside, mm-hmm. they're, like, in utter pain. <laughs> <You> <laughs> I feel like that's the eulogy yes. beat. <laughs> you know, I when we started talking about this morning, I was trying to identify what it was that I don't like about it. And obviously, as a listener... I mean, it's one of my favorite grooves of all time. I love hearing that part. I love when Maynard's vocals come in and it's just drums and vocals. Love it. So when I say anything negative about it, I'm only talking about my own painful experience. But there are certain grooves that take a ton of independence to pull off. Something like, let's say, um, uh, traditional Mozambique. Mm -hmm. So fairly traditional. Really hard to do if you don't have good independence. But when you finally get it, all the parts come together and it's magic. And they... Sounds they good. work together. Good, yep. It sounds good. It feels good. This, you kind of have to sit outside of it like a producer and like, yeah, I guess that's right. But God, it doesn't feel right. <laughs> no. It just fights it so hard. And yeah. you and I are actually, we should explain just in case anybody cares to go from the beginning of the podcast and skip to the end. You and I are technically playing two different beats because you're playing a straight 16th note groove on your right hand yeah. and opening in that every. Well, I guess it's starting on the second note, then it becomes every third note, right? Well, it starts on the first note. So that's what I've learned about this beat. The hard part is not getting the open in the right spot. It's getting the close in the right spot. Okay. Because you open on the downbeat, but then you get to close it on the E of one. That's the part that I never really unpacked enough. to like. It's really the left foot independence against that stupid bass drum part. 
Gotcha. I, I can't get it. And I was using 16-inch hi-hats like an 80s. I should have used like some 12s or something. Right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so I was, instead of playing that, I played the rhythm of two 16ths on one 16th off. One oh, okay. E, a two, and a three, and four E, a one, and a two E, and. So I'm playing that, and then my left foot is playing upbeats. So I've got that going on. Um, and you've heard mine. They haven't. You've heard mine. I, what I realized was it wasn't like learning a halftime shuffle or learning any of these other things that I, where I learned them from someone else's song. Let's say the halftime shuffle, I'm learning Rosanna. Then I ended up with 40,000 shuffle variations because of learning that. Mm-hmm. With this, I didn't, lo- I didn't get anything out of it. <laughs> All I can do, I can't do anything. All I, I mean, I got something out of it, but all I can do is play it. So all I was able to do in the limited time I gave myself, uh, my fault, but all I was able to do really was orchestrate it. Yeah. I still played the exact same groove, you know? Yeah. I don't know. What what I, could you do? I mean, you could change the bass drum part, but then it would cease to be the eulogy beat. You could maybe I think you'd have permutate to, the hi-hat part. I don't know what you would do with it. I think what you'd have to do to still consider it as challenging is come up with your own one bar bass drum groove you could change the bass drum groove but if as soon as you make it a two beat thing it becomes half as difficult it's half as much to keep track of yeah right yeah true you know so you have to make it a one bar bass drum groove and that's what makes this thing so difficult if it was just doom 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 no problem at all yeah true. but doom 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 it's that uh, one that, e uh, two. Uh, it's that stupid. Uh, I hope to never. Can you have to imagine play this what Danny's <laughs> doing if he's listening right now? He's like, you oh, guys know I did this when I was in high school. Yeah, right? well, you know what you he's doing. Kids. He's selling out arenas for seven hundred dollars a ticket. You know what? Mm. Learn to play the beat if that's if that's your job. Okay, good point. Good point. <laughs> I have to give Danny credit though for creating the groove. I, I I don't know the story behind it. I don't know if he just. It was something he was already working on, or if it was something I would love to know from Danny, um, what the process is like. Does he? Because uh, you know, we got a little insight on Richard Spaven when mm-hmm. we were learning about his grooves and how he creates them. And I would love to know: Does Danny hear something and then say, "All right, screw it, I'm going to have to learn how to do it because I hear it, and now I can't hear it any other way"? Or does he sit down and play? Or is it completely mathematical where he says, "You know, what would be cool is this three part on the hi hats against four on kick and snare. Uh, I, I, you know, that question. stuff fascinates me. The process is, is everything for me. Well, I don't think any human would sit down and just play that. So it had to have been some sort of <laughs> pre-planned thought beforehand. Yeah. I want to play yes. something that just feels awful. Okay. Let's do that. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> uh, well, as you can tell by all that negativity, that's what happens when Mike and I struggle on the drums. We blame yeah. everybody else around us. Everybody else. All right, let's talk about PASIC. Okay. You were able to be there. Uh, first question I have without having talked to you yet is what was the feel like? You know, yeah. each one of these things is a every every year NAM and PASIC is a let me check out the feel of our industry. Yeah, I think, um, first of all, I think if any of you listening have never been to the Progressive Arts Society International Convention, you need to do yourself a favor and get there one of these years. It is just an event like no other, where you, every hour you can dip in to see a world-class drum set clinic, you can see a drum line, you can see classical percussion, you can watch debut performances of new music, and you get to go check out gear and hang out with the industry and meet up with all kinds of different players and artists, so... 
it's kind of like everything that I like about Nam minus everything that I absolutely loathe about Nam. It's just the gotcha. good, the good parts. So um, that's the first thing. And I felt like this year and last year, I felt like there was maybe a little bit more of a focused vibe, more um, deliberate with the lineup. I felt like there was two kind of overarching themes with the drum set lineup. It was creativity and musical expression, and then practicality, how to actually work. Okay. Okay. Um, so everything kind of kind of fit within that, which was really cool. Rather than who's the most popular, most insane drummer with the biggest kit and the craziest chops, and let's just right. make everyone you know drool. It was more like yeah. you're going to leave every hour with something, either how to be a better player, how to be a more open and creative musician, how to explore other styles. So it was. I felt like the you know the casting of the lineup was was very effective from an educational side. Cool. And just the overall vibe, I felt like it's kind of refocusing. There's a little bit more energy and a little bit more, um, you know, just like we're keeping this thing going, keeping this ship rolling, which is cool. Nice. Awesome. Um, got to meet a bunch of uh, your campers and students were there, which was cool. Yeah, yeah. The Mike's Lessons family was like in a little pack. I could just yeah. see them kind of going around. <laughs> yeah. That's so cool to see that happen. Like, see people become friends that have never met each other, but because of this thing we have uh you know the drum set you you kind of guaranteed to even if there's an awkward well i don't really vibe with this person you can always just go to like so what's your favorite snare drum and then now we're on <laughs> yeah. the same page yeah you right. know worst case scenario so that was awesome to see those guys all hanging out so they get uh they found you yeah so I, you know i first got there i got in on thursday morning i went straight to scott pellegrum's clinic and then to the dream booth that's where you know I, we told everyone to go there that's when we met yep those of you who, those of you who missed me unfortunately i had to kind of run in and out of clinics the whole time so there's a bunch of people that grabbed me in the hallway but i know I, I missed a lot of people so next time if you see me do not feel like it's rude literally grab me and say what's up because that's sometimes yeah. the only way that i can keep my tunnel vision from i gotta get to this clinic and i gotta get to this or whatever right so, right. yeah, it was another great year. I think, um, well, let's look at the calendar. So the biggest bummer, I booked my flight and hotel a month ago, two months ago, and then they added Nate Smith as the Wednesday night opening concert when I wasn't, no. on, I wasn't going on until Thursday. So unfortunately, I missed Nate Smith with his band Kinfolk. They were the opening concert on Wednesday night. But wow. from all reports, it was as amazing as you would expect. I think he literally... Sure was on tour flew in on tour with someone else flew him and his band in played the show and then flew back to get on the tour with someone else Stud. pretty amazing pretty amazing wow wow so that was wednesday night um let's see thursday morning first thing i saw was scott pellegrom i didn't realize it was his first pasic appearance oh wow that's awesome um, which was great and scott is such a cool a cool positive energetic person that I think it was a great way to kick off a PASIC. Um, I'm looking at my notes here. So, yeah, so his thing was essentially the overarching theme that I left there with was don't be afraid of mistakes. Embrace them and use them to your advantage, which I think is something that okay. needs to be reinforced, especially when you're dealing with collegiate level students who are like afraid of failure and all of that. Yeah, yeah. So, and well, because they're being judged, you know? Yeah, so he literally um, went up on stage on an instrument that he hadn't necessarily played in that exact configuration ever before and just just mm. experimented and messed with sounds and then anything that 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 maybe someone else might consider a flub he just turned it into a piece of of the solo and so it was just cool, cool. and just have him kind of share that like 
you know, my whole mission is to screw up on the drum set and make it work on the fly, which is awesome. And he's so good. Um, so yeah, that was like the opening bit. And just as if, if you were there, you know, that at the same time, there were one, two, three, four, five, six, seven other clinics going on at the exact same time as Scott Pellegrim. So, Oh my gosh. Yeah. So that's how crazy PASIC is. Wow. Um, so then at noon, where did I go? Oh, Steve Fittick was there. He gave um, just a great class. His was a class on, uh, you know, how to play fills in a big band setting. Okay. Which is kind of the contrast. Like, you've got Scott, like, freedom expression, and then Steve's more like, okay, you got a big band gig. Here's some fills you can use that'll always work and that kind of stuff. Okay. So that kind of dichotomy of PASIC is always fun. To, like, there's someone yeah. who's literally using the instrument like in scott's case he's using the instrument to kind of further him spiritually as a human being not necessarily any context of of a gig right and then steve's like well what if you get called to do a big band gig (laughs) how do you set up these figures (laughs) yeah that back and forth i think is cool it's always great to see steve jamie chamberlain played thursday of smashing pumpkins first time i've ever seen him in a clinic i was gonna say did he give a clinic or did he just perform it was it was a performance with some just talking. Um, okay, he played you know some pumpkin songs and and such, but the little bit again I didn't see the whole thing, but it felt like he was really focusing on building parts that serve the song. That was his whole theme. Like, okay, just finding the right part. So he played some some classic tracks. I was really surprised by how kind of reserved and controlled he was as a player. Mm. It's just from from being a fan of the pumpkins and thinking of how kind of buddy rich crazy it can be at times. Like, right? He he physically played very very relaxed, very controlled. Oh, cool! We didn't expect. Um, okay, who was after that? Um, okay, here was my surprise group of the whole event. It's a percussion trio called Square Peg Round Hole. You heard of them? Okay, I have. Yeah, it's like um, a. It's a sort of a percussion ensemble, sort of a like a trancey ambient electronica group. Okay, with a really I, cool I mean, I'm trying. I'm, I'm sure someone. It, it sounds familiar, so I'm sure somebody has sent it to me in the past. It's really but, cool. So if anyone listening, okay. you haven't checked them out. They, I think they have a record out, a full record out. It's if you like ambient sort of electronic, but it's actually you know live musicians playing. Very very cool. Nice. So they were kind of a surprise. I didn't expect that at all. And they had like lights that were coordinated with the music. It was it was really oh, cool. really fun. Um, okay, now let's get into this. Giovanni Hidalgo. Oh, so the great really? Giovanni Hidalgo, amazing conguero percussionist. Here's what I got from his clinic, as well as from Daphnis Prieto's clinic. Quite simply, we are always going to be playing catch up to those guys. Always. Yes. Like thinking 15 years ago, oh, they can play clave with any limb and and play patterns right. over top of it. That was the thing. Oh, left foot clave, whatever. What these guys are doing now, him and Daphnis, and probably many of their peers, their brains are like split in half. So they can play in one tempo, perfectly precise with one limb, play in a totally different tempo perfectly precise with the other limb and it's not like a polyrhythm it's not any kind of metric thing it's just literally 
I'm going to play this Afro-Cuban rhythm with my left hand. Oh my I'm going to play the exact same rhythm with the right hand. I'm going to speed up and slow down at will. Never lose track of the four-bar phrase. Never lose track of, of just the precision. It was dumbfounding. So those two, Giovanni and Daphnis, were the two for me that I left there like, I quit. Like, there's no yeah, way yeah, I yeah. will ever catch up to what those two men are doing. <laughs> yeah, you know, it's funny. I was uh, at the last... 21 drums mark brought in some stuff because mark went over to cuba last year and he brought in some video footage that he took while he was there and he was just showing like a a, a club show that he had attended i mean mm. it wasn't like some big concert but you know what's so different about that is that even if you tried to push yourself to that level you have nowhere to do it mm-hmm. you don't have an audience that will accept it you don't have a, an audience that'll pay for it where um when I look at like even how Eloy Casagrande has developed just from being a Brazilian drummer, even though he's doing metal, his environment is causing him to excel at a level where most rock and metal drummers couldn't even fathom what he's doing. Mm-hmm. And you know, you have to keep your eye focused on like what are you doing and why are you doing it? And if music is headed there, then people will just keep up with it. You know, yeah. and when I. I remember the the PASIC that I did in 2013, maybe. Uh, I think that was the one that Ignacio Obro was at. Mm-hmm. And it was the same thing. Like, he was, one, he was kind of saying, look, like, just so you know, like, you can buy all the books you want and all the DVDs, but until you live here, yeah, it's true. not going to happen. Yeah, yeah. Um, but the stuff he was playing then, I was just thinking, like, dude, that's not even fusion level independence that's a whole different thing you know um it's something to be marveled at for sure uh and those guys it's it's just it's crazy but like you know we've seen what's happened to our modern metal just because all of a sudden it became cool to be complicated Mm -hmm. and in i mean we skyrocketed from five years ago to where we are now with metal with the the world of periphery and animals as leaders taking us into this thing that's now become a thing that stuff, because it was cool, all of a sudden, I mean, you had just random kids that are like, yeah, I'm doing an Animals as Leaders cover. I'm like, what? <laughs> right. I can't even learn the intro. What are you talking <laughs> about? You're doing a cover. You're you're 11. Um, but to them, yeah. they're like, well, I don't, no one's told me no, so I'm going to do it. Yeah. Yeah, it's true. But, you know, with that stuff, I totally agree. But it'd be like playing two different Animals as Leaders songs at the same time. <laughs> right. No, I, I mean, it, the the skill level is off the charts. I'm just saying, like, when you have an environment that allows for it and encourages it, you know, we don't even know what's possible yet. Mm-hmm. And same thing, like, uh, Annika and I did that little practice pad jokey thing. Mm-hmm. I don't know if you saw that. Yep. Well, a bunch of cats from India did it and just took it to a level that was unbelievable <laughs> right and it was like oh geez come on man we're just we're just trying to get some kids in on the fun you don't have to you don't have to come after us like that so i yeah i mean i think that you're right when it comes to brazil cuba <clears throat> india dominican republic like when the when the culture is pushing for that and the mm-hmm. culture is accepting of it and supporting it and allowing you to do it on a nightly basis five nights a week gigging in that thing then you can take it to that level you know and i'm yeah. sure that's probably what they felt about us 50 years ago with jazz you know like yeah. yeah i can play jazz but i'm not i'm not in new york playing it five nights a week with you know who with john coltrane so um yeah the the human the human body and the human brain can do some incredible things if given the proper environment that's my excuse for not doing it <laughs> 
was going to say it's a long-winded excuse. <laughs> My excuse is, well, I could. I just live in Folsom, California. So otherwise I'd be... Uh, okay, let me ask you this. When you saw it, yeah. do you appreciate it or do you wish you could do it? Um, that's a very good question. It gave me that that, that kind of like... You know, when I was a kid, I would get really kind of jealous of kids who who had opportunities to do things that I could never get opportunity to do. Like I wanted to be a skateboarder, I didn't have a skate park, so I would see kids who were really good at a half pipe. I'm like, Ugh. I, if a half pipe was here right now, I'd kill myself because I don't have the opportunity to, right. to skate on. So it was a little bit of that. Like, man, like if I just had been in that world where the whole point of it is to explore freedom over clave, how right. cool would that be? But at the same time, I'm like, you know what? That's their bag. That's not my bag. And I don't know that exactly. I want to even try to practice it because, again, as soon as I catch up, they're going to be doing something that's way beyond. Well, and that, that's what t- it turns into, like this catch-up cycle that you're never going to win. So you have to – the only way to win is to find what you love the most, put your head down and do it. Yeah. And that was a huge turning point in my career was being able to attend a Virgil Zanotti clinic and have an absolute blast and not practice one thing that he said. Oh yeah, I'm not going to practice any of it. <laughs> but, okay, but but or or you know, Daphne's or whoever, like where it's like, dude, that was amazing. I had so much fun, but I'm cool with it. Like that's not what I wish I was doing cuz I know that if I sat next to Steve Jordan attending a Thomas Lane clinic, he'd be like, "Right on, man." And then he'd leave, but he wouldn't be like let me call Yamaha and see if they can get me some octobongs. Yeah, right. No, I mean, it, <laughs> you know, he'd, it, he'd be it, cool with it. It does relate to, to a later clinic with Dave Desenso, where it's it's similar, like that that fluidity and freedom of time and pulse, because mm-hmm. your time and pulse is so confident and secure. Yeah. With Dave, it's like all right, I can relate to that. I can. That is part of. I've even told Dave when I saw him, I was like, you know, I just realized a lot of my style is stolen from you. Just this idea mm. of being able to flow over top of a of a very strict tempo, and not ever yeah. never ever get to the point where you're just letting your hands do whatever the hell they want. Yeah. It's just this fluidity with subdivision control, which right. is similar to what Giovanni and Daphnis are doing. It's just they're able to make it like so clean, like clearly. There's no denying that I'm playing the exact same rhythm in two totally separate tempos, and I have absolute control over it. Like that was just like right. a total different trick, <laughs> you know? Like yeah, sure, that's a totally sure. different thing. Um, so yeah, anyway, I that was Giovanni, that. then Tommy Aldridge, the classic. I mean, it was mm-hmm. like a time capsule of hard rock metal drumming with complete with stick twirls and over the head swinging and double bass. I mean, it's amazing he's wow. still able to do that. I was going to say, like, uh, nothing against Tommy, but I mean, I've, I've followed him since the White Snake days. Like, he's got to be getting kind of old, right? Yeah, I'm not sure how old he is. He, he looks great. He's still physically very strong and fit. Stud. Awesome. Yeah, good amazing. Um, okay, then. Oh, our good good friend Ash Sohn closed out the night on Thursday. Um, first time I've ever seen a drum set clinician make people cry. Really? <laughs> yeah. Cry as in uh, his shuffle so good they just want to cry, no, or did he, he got, actually bring something emotional? He got a little bit emotional of just I didn't realize it was his first U.S. clinic ever. Like he's never done. Oh, one wow! Ever. So he got a little wow. bit just emotional just of the experience, and our photographer afterwards like, "Man, I was crying into my camera. Like, what the hell was going on?" Wow, <laughs> that's so cool. 
Yeah, so it was great. I mean, he killed it. He did exactly what you Have you ever seen him play in person? No. No. Just It's different, like, how incredibly powerful he is for how precise and delicate his drumming is. Yeah. You know what I mean? Like, he he hits the hell out of his drums. Yeah. But it's weird. It's very controlled. Yeah, um, he did explain it, you know, because that was one of the questions he got was how how do you play differently live versus the studio? And mm-hmm. that was the first thing he said was I'm definitely playing a lot harder now, and I'm I'm trying to be more animated than I, than I would in the studio. But in general, the sound is still the same. But yeah. it was awesome. He did what he what he wanted to do. Played some of his tracks, played some grooves, killed it with a halftime shuffle. Took a bunch of right. good questions. Such a good dude. Yeah. yeah, I was shocked that that was his first uh, U.S. clinic ever. Wow, that's amazing. <clears throat> it's a good one to, to have as your first. So we go into Friday? How fat do you want to yep. do the whole whole recap? Okay, so Friday, the first thing that I was able to get to was Keo Stroud of the uh, country pop band Big and Rich. Okay. Powerful. What oh, yeah, powerful, we covered him a while back. Yeah, such a powerful dude. And this was also an interesting... Because a lot of people ask, like, you know, how does how, why doesn't PAS get this person and that person? And it's the same thing with the Modern Drummer Festival. Why couldn't you get Steve Jordan? Why couldn't you get Josh Freese? Sure, Abe, you know, Abe Laboreal Jr. These dudes are on tour. And the same thing with Ash. The reason Ash has, hasn't been at PS isn't because he hasn't been asked. It's because he's had commitments that won't allow him sure. to do it. So Keo um, was there, I think originally supposed to play Saturday and then something happened with his with his tour routing and he had to come in and do the first clinic on Friday morning and he had to sub out a show from his band so just to go through all that wow. extra hassle hire a sub make sure he you know the band was cool with him subbing out a gig wow and had to come in and do that Thursday morning and then that I think the next that night get on a plane to go to the next gig it was crazy so just his commitment and interest and dedication to do it was super cool. Powerful, powerful player. Super fun guy. He had a huge double bass kit. Out a boy. Out a boy. Such a sweet guy too. Uh, Rough Raider Reyes Jr. was after that. He kind of hit on the idea of studying music, uh, different styles of music, even though you might never actually play it because it's going to inform mm, sure. what you do on your actual gig, which I thought was incredibly practical. I think he's been out with Chicago recently. Um, and then Dave Desenzo at noon on Friday just just killed everyone as usual. Um, he even took it up a step further and started rapping while he was playing. Like Wait, actually what? rapping. Do <laughs> you mean like a Christmas present? No, like it was like an old Well, school. give us an example. <laughs> <laughs> the theme of his solo was float like a butterfly, sting like a bee. So mm. he kind of just kept riffing on that. And then okay. when he would say float, float like a butterfly, he would play more floaty and sting like a bee. He would go a little bit deeper in. That's pretty cool. But he's yeah, it kind of felt like Bernard Purdy in a more of a rock kind of a okay. situation. That's cool, man. He's He's somebody that I don't think he has even figured out how to decode his own concepts yet but he's so conceptual with his playing that i think there's some brilliance in there that hopefully somebody uh in the future can almost decode and help him deliver that to people because things like that where it's like oh my gosh that makes so much sense but to him that's common sense Mm -hmm. but it's not common sense to everybody yeah to think like that yeah i felt Um, like i mean what i've what i was talking about earlier when i stole from him it's this idea and it's not even that i stole it from i think 
I had someone else introduce it to me, and then I realized he was doing it better, so I started studying him, was was establishing targets, like a rhythm from syncopation. That's going to be your, yep. your vamp. That's your target. And mm-hmm. that gives you a musical construct to then apply all the drum crap that you're practicing. So yes. double stroke rudiments, how are you going to fit all your roll rudiments over top of this two-bar riff? How are you going to figure you know, your hand-foot patterns to make them fit as 16th notes or 16th note triplets, but always outline this accent phrase? Right. So it's this kind of like zoom in, zoom out approach to, to drum set patterns. Yeah. Which I think gives him that fluidity. Like he's not thinking about the minutia of the lick. He's thinking, what is the overarching pattern that I'm going for? And then how yeah. can I apply what I know from a, as a drummer to that pattern? Does that make any sense? Just oh, like no, absolutely. Okay. I mean, that's, it, it makes more sense if you know Dave's playing because that's what's happening is he's in control, but he's also, while being, it's weird, he's a passenger on the Dave DiCenzo train. Yeah, exactly. He's driving it, but he's also a passenger just like, oh, wow, this is pretty. Yeah. Look, yeah. look out the left. You'll see the Sierra Nevada mountains. He's yeah, like, like, oh, cool. he's, he's trusting all the hours of practicing rudiments and patterns and stuff to then, that's not going to fail me. So now I can then f- figure totally. out ways to make it fit in a, in a more interesting phrase. So super cool, always inspiring. Always great to catch up with him. I saw him in the back of uh, Brendan Buckley's clinic, and he was just rocking out to Brendan. Like that's that's what it's all about. <laughs> like he yeah, was man. into it. So then after Dave was Sarah Thar. Oh, nice. Which was, this must have been her first PASIC, right? I think so. I think so. Yeah, it um, must have been Canadian. I think she's from Toronto um, of Indian. She's awesome heritage. So she was doing Indian Indian rhythms on drum set, but not classical Indian rhythms like pop Mm. Indian rhythms which was such a fresh approach to it of not not doing what everyone does which is try to take classical Indian rhythms and apply it to the drum set which usually causes most of the crowd to be like well I already I don't even want to be here because I already know I can't do this and I'm not going to dedicate the time to do it so can we just move on to something cool Yeah, even though it is cool but I've been to all of those types of clinics where it's like here we go uh, this it's going to be over everybody's head, yeah. And so that's so cool that she did that. Yeah, so much so more relatable, a more contemporary version of Indian rhythms and less rule based. You know, kind of make it sound more like funk beats and stuff. But then at the same time, she was always referencing when I first started playing drum set. I thought of the drum set as a bunch of tabla, not as a drum set. So how would you play cool. a bunch of tabla? So it was really cool, and she's really articulate and really fun. So that was a, that was a great kind of surprise clinic for me. Um, and then Daphnis at three, I've already alluded to it. If you haven't checked out Daphnis Prieto, it is that he's one of those guys that will make you want to burn your sticks, but at the same time you have to just keep coming back to him and keep coming back right. to him because he's just so yeah. so musical, so communicative on the instrument, so free. But his technique is absolutely flawless. Like He's a perfect drummer on a technical level. Gotcha. So he did a lot of... You know, improvising over a clave where it was that fluid thing where he could just go in and out of time, but you never felt like he was just letting the hands go. It's just insane. Right. It's just an insane level of musical independence that I think is upper echelon. Good luck catching up with it. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but also just really fun. He's very entertaining and just fun. So he's amazing. It didn't. It wasn't depressing. It was just like, okay, that's a master. Let's just appreciate how masterful sure. this man is. Um, and then Dave Elich was the last major drum set clinic. Um, 
he came out and kind of surprised me and just played like a mid-tempo rock beat with like no embellishments and just okay. swinging from Saturn. <laughs> it so was, we went Chad Smith Modern Drummer Festival? Yeah, but you know, but super I mean, powerful, big motions, yeah. but completely fluid, completely relaxed, just kind of demonstrated his, his teaching of like making sure your body's not getting destroyed when you play drums. Sure. It was really cool. Huge, huge sound. I mean, it was... Did I, he have his new snare with him? No, I don't think so. I don't think he was using that. Okay. But he had probably a 22-inch crash cymbal that he hit like it was a 16. <laughs> nice. <laughs> Turn it into a B8 China Splash. <laughs> oh, man. Yeah, so that was Friday. And then Friday night, I lost my voice. And then Saturday morning, let's see. Let's kind of wrap this up. Saturday, we had Stephen Perkins just reiterated how much of a rock star the man is and how just positive spirit and just a great ambassador for drumming. That dude's incredible. Absolutely. He just came out and jammed some uh, James Addiction songs, Born of Papyrus songs, just did what he does, and it was just so inspiring. Um, let's see. The next one I got to was Brand- Brendan Buckley. So I think Brendan was the perfect example of I'm going to teach you something that will make you better so you can get a gig as opposed to I'm going to show you how to be more expressive on the instrument it was more like this is a quick this is a fast track to get your your drumming under control so then you can play actual gigs and it all came from the premise of developing your unisons so eighth note unisons and then adding accents to create backbeats and things and then changing the bass drum part so then now you've got Grooves, right? Playing them straight, playing them swung. So now you've got eighth straight eighth. So you got your swung swing beats. Do the same thing with sixteenth notes, um, and then just kind of evolving from this simple premise of can you play quarter notes with all four limbs, perfect unison, perfect balance, and then depending on tempo and subdivision, and then he just had all of his vocabulary. So he's like, if there's one tempo or one feel that you're really uncomfortable with, start with unisons in that tempo or that feel. And just get absorbed the subdivision, and then explore yeah. accents and orchestration and all that. How many of us think that we could play all four limbs in unison uh, in quarter notes at any tempo, and then if you had to do it in front of a judge, could you really do it? Yeah, no, no, because no, no one, no one practices City. that. Nobody practices no, that. No, but it makes perfect no. sense. Like his logic, it was totally like, does. This makes because he's aligning his body like in each subdivision yeah. and getting totally comfortable, totally balanced. And then exploring making music with it, right? So it just made awesome. perfect sense. Like that's that's how you get from I can't play a halftime shuffle to I can own a halftime shuffle. Yeah. Um, so that was great. And then um, the last one that I was able to go to before I had to fly home was Antonio Sanchez. Which wow, was, what a great lineup this yeah, year! Yeah, incredible lineup. And then Stanton Moore was the last clinician. Unfortunately, I had to miss it, but everyone said. It was amazing, as usual. But Antonio was the opposite of Brendan. It was, we're going to explore right. composition and, and making sure you're shaping your improvisations and you're using the drum set as a tool for essentially free you know, free composition. And it was awesome. He brought a kid up on stage. I think he'd been playing drums for a year and a half. And within 10 minutes, had him playing a cohesive drum solo. Really? Yeah. I mean, you could tell by the end of it, he's like, oh, we could spend another five years on this. But it went from a kid wow. just hitting the drums too much to like, oh, you have a theme, you have variations, you have development. 
It was pretty right. impressive. Wow. So he's great. I think he's the, the premier compositional drum soloist on the planet at the right. moment. Yeah, for sure. Agreed. So amazing. So yeah, that's basic. And I flew home and I missed Anton Moore, like I said, unfortunately, but I'm sure it was great. Wow. That's awesome, man. Well, um, hopefully I can be there next year. It was busy. It's always a busy time. Like I, I always plan on going to PASIC, and then it's right when our camp season ends and my work begins. Yeah. As far as since I talked to you last, I think I've filmed probably about 40 videos. That's filmed, a edited, that's, uploaded. That's, uh, a, lot. that's a lot of and work. And they're all, <laughs> and these are not. These are not Instagram videos. These are like seven-minute <laughs> yeah. videos. And uh, so, yeah, it's. It, I mean, I'm getting like paler and paler by the day uh, because <laughs> I just haven't seen light in a while. And then on Friday, I head to Singapore. Oh, that's so right. Goodness. I'm starting to kind of work out all my clinic stuff for that because I haven't done a, a clinic in a little while. So I'm dusting off the, the laptop and my clinic tracks and all that stuff. So, yeah, I'll be in, heading to Singapore is on this Friday. Is then... a new clinic presentation, or is it a version of what you've been doing the past year? This this is the hybrid. This is half new. So all the teaching is brand new. Mm-hmm. And then the only thing that's changing about the performance is that I've added in a drum solo, like an open drum solo. Oh, cool. And I think I've cracked my own personal code for... This will be my first time to test out my new theory of in front of a crowd improvisational drum solo stuff oh and we're back um <laughs> lost your first did you get there. yeah um this will be like my first time testing out this thing of okay what i want to do is i want to be able to play drums by myself and allow other people to watch that happen mm, yeah I'm can the same i do boat. that i'm in the same boat and not, and that was a big I, part of Antonio's thing was the impatience that we all have at, at that with those types of moments. Like, leave two measures of silence, and it's going to feel like ten years. But that could oh be gosh, the most yeah. effective thing you could do. And and you right. could tell everyone in there's like, yeah, I don't know if I could do that. <laughs> Just the impatience. Yeah. Of well, like and then play, there's play, the play, other play. thing of where have where have you been putting this information for the past couple of years my improvisational information has been stuck in 60 second chunks on instagram mm. and you know somebody says dude you should really let that develop till when the two minute mark when you can't watch it anymore <laughs> i have 60 seconds to get my point across so it's like can i take that 60 seconds and stretch it out to four minutes and allow themes to develop and allow for space and mm. And say, okay, like let's let's zoom out a little bit. The other thing that I had to find in all of this is what do and this is a tough thing, and I don't know if you've had to go through this, but not what am I good at? What do I like about my drumming? Because I will play better if I'm playing stuff I actually like. Mm. Where and there are little aspects of my drumming where I see an old Instagram video where I'm like, dude, I dig that. I dig that a lot. I'm not judging myself, I'm not looking like at the stupid faces I'm making. I actually like the way that sounds. Bring that into this solo. Play more of that stuff that you actually like as a fan of drumming. You know, mm. um, it's a tough thing. Yeah, there's yeah. a difference between what are you good at and what do you like. Yeah, what do you spend all your time practicing? You realize you hate it. That, that happened to me quite a few times over the years. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that you know, it's funny because the, the irony for me is I'm like, I'm going to use Instagram as, a, as an idea to kind of beta test stuff. I'm going to turn in the full tracks and make a full record and. 
I haven't done it at all. I'm just afraid to go back and like, yeah, I should develop that. I'm like, yeah, but I don't remember what I was doing. <laughs> like, I don't want right, to yeah. transcribe it's, myself. It's a, it's a weird thing. So <laughs> I, I'm, I'm looking forward to getting back from there and giving you an update on how it went because I have three or I have two chances. I have a master class that obviously I won't be doing any performing at. I'll only be teaching and I'll only be playing things that are related to the teaching. But then I have two separate clinics, um, mm. and one on Saturday and one on Sunday. And so with those, uh, that'll be my chance to try this thing out and see what happens and see, okay, how how much can I detach myself from the situation but just be in the moment? Because I'm at a place now where really when I sit down, I can get through a six-minute solo every single morning because that's the first thing I do. I walk into the studio I turn on a couple lights, but not all of them, and then I sit down, no warming up, and I play a drum solo. Mm. And I'm at a place now where I can actually control the drum solo while it's happening. I know exactly where I'm at. I'm like, man, we've been here for a while, and we're at an up-tempo. Let's get out of this. Let's give, them, let's give their ears a little break. And mm. I can do that all in the moment. Can I do that when everyone's staring at me, and they're like, oh my gosh, the American's here. He flew all the way here. It was a 20-hour flight. We can't wait to see this. Do I then do what I would normally do, which is I fall back to everything that I know has worked in the past, mm. which is r- like completely memorized, stale, regurgitated bullcrap. In my mind, there's nothing like I don't even want to see it when it's over. It's like uh, I just I just call it pulling the parachute. I pulled my parachute too soon. I got mm. scared. The ground was coming and I just yanked on the ripcord, you know. Yeah. So, you so any, we'll see. I'm, I'm excited. Maybe we can talk about it next time. But I'm wondering what what techniques, strategies you have, because for me, it's the environment is what screws me up in playing in front of people. That doesn't really bother me. It's the the drums sound totally different in this world, and yes, I literally can't play them the way I do at home. Or sometimes I just wear earplugs, so I just at least I know that's the same. Like the right the muffledness of the drums is is going to be consistent. Yeah. We talked about that a few weeks ago that I can play my pad kit better than I can play my kit mm-hmm. because the volume's down and it's not it's not smacking me in the face with my senses a lot of times i am playing with my in-ears in but they're not plugged into anything they're just Mm -hmm. earplugs um and i enjoy that detachment a little bit i will say this i'm never scared i I don't really have any fear um at no point am i playing a drum solo and thinking like oh my god i suck that's never on my mind even in the worst times what i'm thinking is God, I hope I don't let you guys down. You've been but, supporting yeah, me for yeah. so many years. I'm finally here. Hi, Juno. I'm <laughs> finally here in person, and I don't want to let you down. And that's that's what's going on in my mm-hmm. head. And that's when I reach for those low on the shelf licks and those chops that are like, oh well, you know. And I, I don't want to be in that situation. Like, hey, it worked at Pasic in 2013. Let me <laughs> right. go for this one. Like, screw that. <laughs> Yeah, I don't want that. There's too many drummers out there that I absolutely love that play the exact same solo. Every time I see them, I'm like, just it's, it's so de- just deflating. Yeah, <laughs> to be like, it's, I mean, really, it's just a song without music. Yeah, you yeah. know, it's like you know the part, so I don't want to do that. So we'll see what happens. All right, I feel like uh, that's a full episode. We're at 45 yeah. <laughs> minutes. What on earth are we going to get into? Well, we probably at this point should thank our sponsor, Evans Drumheads. Uh, you probably saw the. I think really cool new marketing campaign they've launched with the to, to announce the new UV2 drumhead. 
I think it's just a fun approach to marketing with this this AI Evan is the is the character. But anyway, the drumhead itself, they sent me a pack to check out. Um, I was a big fan of the UV one, which is a single ply head with this thin coated applique. Um, I don't know how how it's adhered, but they use a UV cured process that covers the whole head, so it's kind of like a big sticker, but so it's not a spray paint, I believe. Um, but now they have a two ply version of that, so it's two plies of seven mil film, and then they have it coated with the UV cured coating. It's supposed to be incredibly more durable and a little bit punchier. I will say I've had the UV ones on my gigging kit for couple years and the coating has shown zero wear whatsoever really yeah so i'm really stoked to try out the new two ply uv2 if you haven't checked them out yet um, go check out the stuff they put on youtube they've got you know nate smith and sarah thar and i believe adam deitch they're all they're all kind of part of this campaign uh, but yeah check out the new uv2 drum heads from evans if you're looking for a two ply head that's a little bit punchier than your standard uh, coated and uh, supposedly a lot more durable. We'll we'll report back on all of that once we get the review happening. But thanks, Evans, for for sponsoring the episode. Um, should we talk about Jerry Rowe now? Absolutely. So Jerry is somebody that I honestly had. I mean, there's so many of those Nashville guys that I don't even know exist until someone else, like a company, calls your attention to them, mm-hmm. and until. Until Minel put out a bunch of videos for him, I, I had no idea who he was. But I remember it was a big deal for Minel because they said, look, we're introducing this symbol line that has taken us a very long time to create. Mm-hmm. It is going to be the highest level of symbols we've ever created. And our American, like the first person to play them in our videos is going to be Jerry Rowe. And I'm like, who's Jerry Rowe? And they said, oh, well, we'll send you the videos. They did. And I was like, Wow. This is crazy. You're going to have a guy actually play music? <laughs> like, wait, what? Aren't you supposed to get your most chopped out, chop master, choppable, choppy guy to, <laughs> to chop like, these up? Choke them, hit them so hard they choke. Yeah, to, to show that, like, to so that no one knows what they actually do. And it was really cool. Chris Brewer said, no, we think that these are the most musical symbols we've ever created. So we're going to have somebody play just some great music and, and give them space. And that was my introduction to Jerry Rowe. And then. From then, just starting to follow him and then seeing him play on his own a little bit, I was like, oh, this isn't a country drummer. This is a drummer that happens to have some country gigs and some country sessions. Yeah, so Jerry Rowe is Nashville first call session drummer. It comes from a long pedigree of Nashville musicians. His grandfather was the great uh, Jerry Reed, country music legend. His father, Dave Rowe is a top session bassist and then Jerry. So Jerry was kind of born and, and raised in the studio. I think it says in the story, which he's featured in the December issue, he did his first professional session at age 11. Jesus. So one of those guys. <laughs> <sighs> Once again, you're just not going to catch up. So before we talk about the other side of his career, let's drop in some audio from these minor clips that kind of showcases his Nashville studio beautiful touch amazing sound Uh, let's do single flange blues first
I mean, and that's like that when you if you only hear it, you're like, that's a great sample. <laughs> right? I, can you send me that snare? <laughs> I guarantee that when they set up, I'm sure the the producer probably already knew who Jerry was, you know, because this was done in a Nashville studio. But I'm sure when they set up. The producer said, "Can you stick around for just like five extra minutes when we're done? Because I just need to sample that snare. Like, that's yeah. incredible." So that he's playing Craviato drums. That is a Craviato snare with three big chunks of gaffer's tape plus a dusting towel clipped onto it. Um, and I think, and what kind of head do you think that well, is? Well, that's what I was going to say. This is a secret weapon. That is a. I'm pretty sure that's a Remo Renaissance, probably Renaissance Ambassador or Renaissance okay. Emperor. Those are the heads that most symphonic percussionists end up using. So it's wow. that sort of open but earthy, darker kind of sound. I love the Renaissance Power Stroke 3 bass drum head. So to see this okay. on a snare drum, I'm like, all right, I guess I got to go back to the Renaissance. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so it that, sounds fantastic. I mean, it, his playing's incredible. All right, so let's do one more from the Minel session. This one is um, even more earthy. I think this is kind of more of a Tom Waits kind of Jim Keltner vibe. The track is called Pre-Aged Custom Relic Derby Convention. Okay, I gotta say I've never seen that before. Hitting the bass Backbeat, drum beat, yeah, hitting the bass drum with a mallet to get a little bit of click, but not stick on the bass drum shell to get too much click. So yeah. there's just this little weird clack yep. that's happening while he's hitting the floor tom that has a towel on it. Wow, yeah, super creative. Awesome. And that's a craviato shell that he's smacking with, <laughs> with right? <a> exactly. <laughs> you can't hurt those drums. Don't be afraid oh. to use your craviatos, folks. Hit them. <laughs> That's up to you. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so we've illustrated uh, yeah, how amazing. awesome Jerry is at the definitive Nashville session drummer vibe. Um, right. It should be noted that he did a lot of the tracks for the TV show Nashville recently. So a lot of stuff on the oh, show really? is Jerry playing, okay. plus hundreds of other hits. Now let's go to his passion project with his with his wife, Friendship Commanders could not be more completely opposite from what we just heard this is hardcore punk (laughs) get it so let's check out um, the track is nma by friendship commanders weird about this it's not that he can play this i i would assume that any of the nashville cats could if if they grew up in the right era could play this stuff sonically mm-hmm. what's crazy is how much he visually with his body plays different when he's in this band than he does when he's doing the nashville studio thing like he totally when you're watching if i walked into a club and saw this guy there's no way i would think that that guy is a nashville session <laughs> right, cat right true because there's like there's like a different way of of almost choking the stick and playing with more forearms than you need to 
you can play this stuff great with flawless technique. Yeah. But if I see you do it, I know. <laughs> come on, man. You know you went to school. What are you doing in a punk band? Like, you, stop it. Um, True. But he's he's playing more punk than he plays the other stuff. Yeah. And I love that. Yeah. This, you know? it's like, this if you're going to do it, do it. This feels like home to me for him. Like, yeah. The other music is, is just what he was born and raised in, and he's, you know, a, he's a master at it. But. When he goes home and listens to what he wants to listen to, what he wants to play, I think it's more of this kind of stuff. It's pretty cool, it's, um, you know. And then he—I don't know if he just stopped by for the day or whatever—but I saw some videos from uh, Nelson Drum Shop where he was just playing some house kits there, mm. and it was a whole different side of his playing that I had never seen before. Yeah, he's great. He's definitely great. So if you haven't checked out Jerry Rowe, um, read the story to get some some tips on what records to start with. But I would go to Friendship Commander's YouTube page as well as all those Minel videos, the Foundry Reserve yeah. demos. I mean, they're not even demos. It's it's full session tracks of him in the studio. It's really beautiful. Yeah, yeah, it's pretty cool. Um, all right, let's get into some microphones. So I was not aware, but these are we're talking about the. Um, blue microphones, the Dragonfly and the mouse. And this is what you've been using to do your product demos for a while. Yeah, so anything that, if you've seen Modern Drummer product demos where you can't see the microphones, I've been doing this setup. So I have the blue mouse, which is a large diaphragm condenser that's tailored for low end. I've got that in front of the bass drum. And I have a blue Dragonfly, which is a large diaphragm condenser over the head. So most of those demos are just bass drum mic and an overhead. Um, so these are, they're not cheap, but they're not super duper expensive. So the Dragonfly is a, it's basically a $1,000 mic. It is a large diaphragm condenser. You could use it for overhead. You could use it on bass drum. You could use it on toms. You could use it as room mics. You could use it on vocals, guitars, whatever. It's kind of your all-purpose large diaphragm condenser. What's cool about the Dragonfly is the way it's designed. So it's on this thin body and then the actual capsule is on this pivoting head. So mm. you can literally aim it. Once you get the mic set over your kit, you can just twist the, the head of it and aim it exactly where you want it to go. That's really cool. Super flexible. Like I just did a, uh, a overdub session yesterday where I had to do shaker, tambourine, and suspended cymbal. So everything on the kit was in a different spot, so I was able to just aim the mic just by twisting it to make sure it was getting a direct shot of those instruments. Um, sonically, it just sounds natural. Everything. I was just going to say, does there. it color it in any way? Not that you I know? can notice. It's just full range, really clean, okay. accurate, low noise, no, no so overhype. So it works perfect for product demos for what you're doing. Exactly. Just turn it on, yeah. and what you hear is what it sounds like in the room. The cool. mouse is a more kind of stout, compact version, so the, the body of it is rounder, bigger. Um, I put it on the bass drum up, you know, even two feet out in front. It still had enough kind of focused of a pattern. So it wasn't getting tons of ambient sound. And we should probably, you know, explain that in that $1,200 range for the mouse, if you think of it as only a bass drum microphone and compare it to the Audix D6 or um, the Shure 52, it's going to seem massively expensive. I'm assuming this is a high-end, professional, low-frequency microphone that you could use for anything, like bass, guitar, cabs. You could use it. I mean, it's it's not even 
it goes from 20 hertz to 20 kilohertz. So it could okay, be. Okay, so you could use it for anything. Anything, literally anything. Gotcha. So this, these gotcha. are like two mics you would have in your in your collection for like acoustic guitar, vocals, drums, percussion, whatever. Yeah, and it seems like they have a pretty high SPL. Um, I mean, up to yep. 138 decibels. So you're not going to hurt them by using them for drum mics. Yeah, no, they were they're in. They just sounded good. So if you're looking for high end professional condensers to kind of start a collection with for studio application, these are yeah, awesome. Yeah, I think I think also though there there's a specific customer for this because you're going to get in that price range. You're going to get pretty great sound, but these also look cool. And I yeah. I get really I don't know why I get so bummed out, but I get re- not bummed out, but I get upset when people overlook the looks of things. Mm-hmm. because of the fact that it's like, well, what else is there to separate it? Why is it like always talked out like, I don't care about how shiny your drum set is. It's like, well, I do. <laughs> when I get home and I'm pissed off about my day, I do care that my drum set looks cool. Like I, that helps me get into it. Like, you know, even if you said this is the best looking microphone ever and I'm like, dude, it looks like poop. Like I'm not going to use it. I don't care. <laughs> how it's the best you, microphone in the world. How would you describe this look? The only, only way I could think of was retro futuristic. It's like, oh, Totally. That's, it's it's what they thought the future was going to be in the 1950s. Yeah, yeah, there you go. This is the design. If you look at any 1950s, 1940s sci-fi, this is what they thought. This is what all the microphones in the spaceships look like. Right, right. <laughs> you know, it was like super retro, futuristic. I think that's a great, great description for it. I think they, they look gorgeous, and I mean, I, I didn't know this is what you've been using, but I, you always have such a killer sound, so. Yeah, and they don't, they um, don't take much effort. That was, that's what I look for in these kind of mics, like very mm-hmm. little effort. Just turn them on, and it gives me the sound. I can tweak it if I need to. They take EQ, they take compression really well, but as a starting point, put one over, the, over top of the kit, one in front of the bass drum, that's what the drums sound like. Nice. Um, yeah, so awesome. check them out. And check out all the rest of Blue's catalog. I also use the Hummingbird often as they're like mm-hmm. pencil condensers. We talked about them before. But they're also great for on the snare drum. Like the uh, Carter's kit on Lion King is mic'd up with just a Hummingbird. I mean, a, a uh, yeah, a Hummingbird on the snare top, and that's it. And it sounds amazing. Wow. So, yeah. Awesome. That's that. Fantastic. All right, let's get into a couple listener questions, like one. Okay, let's see. What do we got here? Oh, I've got some good ones, too. Really? Just one? All right. No, no, no. We could do two. But we are, we're pretty deep, bro. All right. We're, all right, all right. we're already over an hour. Okay, this one's from Rigo. He was asking me why we haven't answered it yet, so I'm going to put him to the top of the list. Um, I live in Arizona, and I'm always willing to look out for drum clinics near me. It seems that there are always well-known names hosting drum clinics overseas, but not quite so yep. many in the U.S. My perception is that the drum clinic scene is not as big in the U.S. as it is in Europe and or Asia. i like to know if that's how you see it as well, and if so, your thoughts on why it might be the case. I can answer well, all of that. about to go to Asia now. So. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> didn't go to PASIC, and you're about to go to Asia. Exactly. Uh, that's, so, yeah, I can tell you exactly how it's going. Uh, at some point around early 2000s, the, the clinics in the U.S., the attendance started to really, really drop off. My thought is that it was a combination of a new world of media coming in and older shop owners 
and older drummers not knowing how to use that media to their advantage to promote themselves. So what was happening was you were getting a lot of guys um, where the shop owners and the drummers neither were knew how to promote because back in the day it'd be like, well, I'll send out my email list or I'll put up flyers at the local uh, record stores. All of a sudden this new thing came in and certain demographics just didn't know how to take advantage of it and you would always hear yeah, Terry Bozio was just in your town. Like, what? How did mm. I not know about it? So it wasn't even that people weren't willing to attend it. They didn't know what happened in the first place because there was like a miscommunication. So that's what was going on. Now, while that was happening, the, the reason why the clinic scene is massive overseas is a lot of it is that they're bringing in foreign drummers. So mm. it's an event when I come to Singapore. I can tell you that like the clinic scene isn't that massive in the UK for UK drummers. It's not like every day um, Eddie Thrower and Craig Blundell are over at Bell Percussion. It's not like that. It's mm. it's the opposite. So it's an event. And so what's happening is you've got a lot of companies that I play for. They'll send me over there to do a clinic run. And it's well attended because the American is in town and he won't be here for another couple of years. Now – What's happening right now is we are getting a new era of shop owners that are younger and grew up with social media, and they are fans of younger drummers. And by by younger, I mean even in their 40s, but they're fans of drummers that grew up with social media. And now you have two parties that understand how to promote events. So uh, Rupp's Drum Shop in Denver, Colorado has a new owner, and he's very young, and he's he gets it. And he's like, well, you know what? We're having Nate Smith. Why have Nate Smith in the store? When we're going to video the whole thing, let's put them in a whiskey distillery. Mm. Okay, well, that's badass. Now, every drummer in the world that does clinics is like, hey, how do I get over to Denver, Colorado? Because mm-hmm. that guy's doing it the right way. So I think you're only, Rigo, you're probably only about three or four years away from the clinics making a resurgence in the U.S. Because now people are willing to support this stuff. They want to go see their favorite drummer live and have access to him. Because even a live show for a, a clinic, I mean, you're still only dealing with maybe 150 people at the most yeah. in the U.S. So you're still getting great access to your favorite drummer. So people are willing to do that. I don't think it's a thing of, oh, YouTube ruined it and no one wants to attend an event. Not when you're dealing with people that small, um, groups that small. People are still willing to go. They just didn't know what was happening in the first place. So... You know, so yeah, that's my opinion on it. Now, what about this? This theory I've had was when drum clinics were free, there's no reason to go. But now I'm seeing a a lot of like high priced clinics. I mean, they're calling them something else, but they're literally classes. Yeah, yeah. they're literally just clinics, and and they're selling out as opposed to come down to the local giant drum store and no one's going. (laughs) You know, for I totally agree. I, I think that I think there has to be a value put on education and when you make something valuable it holds all the parties accountable the clinician can't just go in there and screw around because people paid to witness this and the people that paid to see it can't come and just be on their phones the whole time because they paid to see it so they got to get their values Mm -hmm. worth i'm i'm i mean i totally agree i don't think uh i mean i've never had a clinic in the u.s that didn't sell out and that's because i know how to promote a clinic it has nothing to do with me but at the same time all those clinics are always charged for Mm-hmm. Um, because my fee doesn't change no matter what. I have a very set clinic fee. This is my clinic fee. You want to charge $1,000 per person? Whatever. It doesn't change anything for me, mm-hmm. but no one will show up. If you want to charge $5 a person, maybe you'll make your money back. I, can, I don't know. So usually, I mean, generally, a normal clinic, if it's not called a master class, 
I don't have, I don't really contact the owner unless I see that they're charging more than $20. If it's more than $20 and it's just a clinic, I usually will say, Hey, have you done clinics at that price point before? Do you feel mm-hmm. comfortable with it? If it's a master class, then yeah, usually it's a hundred dollars a person or something like that. Mm-hmm. But my teaching is way different. I'm not going to get up there and just jam for right. an hour and be like, "Any questions?" Like, <laughs> yeah. no, 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 we're going deep for three hours. So, um, so yeah, okay, hope that helps, cool. Rigo. All right, here's uh, we'll do one more. This one's from Aaron, and I picked this one because I just had a conversation about this very thing with Bill Bachman at Pasic. So. My question has to do with stick grip. 25 years ago, I was taught to keep the top of my hands facing the ceiling when playing the whole kit except the ride, where the thumb is facing the ceiling. I've heard Weckl talk about ergonomics and specifically how he plays the ride. It's interesting but not working out for me. It seemed to ha- I seem to have more luck with the French grip. What is your take on the different grips? Am I at a disadvantage for not playing them the same way Weckl or you guys play? So I'll Dude, give if you the tops of my hands had to face the ceiling. I'd be in trouble. <laughs> oh my I, I god, that I, hurt! I wish I could remember what Bill said. It pays like he was kind of joking around, but essentially he said he wants to take German grip and send it off to sea, <laughs> like never, never to right? come back. Right. <laughs> so I, I don't. It's such an uncomfortable way to play. Let me give you an, uh, the illustration he gave me. Hold your hand okay. up straight, like you're you know you're you're swearing on a Bible. Okay, and keep your hand relaxed and just wave it. You know, up and down. Okay. Totally free, no tension. Sure. Now, pinch your thumb to your first finger as if you're holding German grip and try to make that same waving motion. Oh, my God. Yeah. There's so much tension. tension in your hand. That's Just the because you with, closed the thumb and the first finger. Yeah. That's the problem with German grip. It automatically restricts the flow of your wrist. Yeah. And if I do that with my hand in more of a French grip, it's a rotation. It's all day it's long. More of a rotation. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Totally. It's more natural. So that's that's the short version of he and I have had hours of conversations about this stuff. But that was the the synopsis was that hurts. Send it off to sea. Don't use it anymore. I totally agree. <laughs> I totally agree. I've never I the only time I've shown people like here's the only benefit I can see from German grip is that when you put a stick in German grip, the stick is absolutely 100% locked side to side. You cannot move. The only way to lose a stick in German grip is to drop it. That's the only way Mm -hmm. because it's locked by fingers on one side and thumb on the other. As soon as you go to French grip, it can literally just fly out of your hand if you accidentally hit a rim Mm -hmm. going 300 BPM Uh, around the kit. So it's a very sturdy grip. But it's not, I mean, even if I'm on a single surface and I'm, you know, just a pad in front of me, it's still American leaning towards French. Mm-hmm. You know, I don't go full elbows out and timp- French timpani. Right. But I, I still, it's, you know, I, I still think in the end, you need to study the techniques and then find comfort. But you have to, you have to be aware of technique. Like I wouldn't just let somebody, that's never played in their life. I wouldn't just say whatever's comfortable to you. And then they come back. I'm like, Oh my God, it's an abomination of technique. (laughs) Don't tell anybody you study with me. I introduce them to the techniques. I watch them play. I'm looking for stiffness. I'm looking for what's causing them any kind of discomfort adjusting. And then from there, I do want people to find the most comfortable way to play the kit. Why do you want to be in discomfort when you play an instrument? that's already hard enough to play. Yeah. Why am I mad at you? You didn't do anything. (laughs) (laughs) I'm like yelling at you. All right. Yeah. Uh, so I think we answered it. Essentially, yeah. Don't stick with one grip, right? Is that yeah. the summarization? Yeah. Of it? I think you pretty much said that you're sending the German grip out to sea. Yeah. I don't I'm, know what that means, but I'll stand by that because I don't. There I you mean, go. Especially once I did that 
that simple exercise of waving with no grip and then waving yes. with the thumb. I mean, it was. I could feel yeah. grinding. I can feel my yeah. bones like grinding against tendons. So, bye bye. Mm. All right, so that's it for questions. Bye-bye. Send yours into mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. We still have a bunch to get through, but we could use some more audio questions. Those are always fun. mdinfo at moderndrummer.com. Time for picks of the week. What do you got? Uh, an old one that I had to revisit. So one of the drawbacks, Adobe, if you're listening, uh, and you'll be getting a letter today from me, but one of the drawbacks to Adobe Audition is that you can't record a click in it. Hmm. You can have a metronome, but you know, in, in Pro Tools, and I don't know about other things but there's an actual plug-in at, that is a click yeah logic and then you can yeah okay and then you can send that to a bus and yep. then you just track that yep. you can't do that um with their metronome feature and there's no mm. uh, native plug-in that is a metronome so i was like so literally what i've been doing is putting the metronome on on my phone and then with one of my microphones here i track i track my phone that sucks <laughs> it's stupid it's stupid so but then the other thing is we were, uh, we were tracking one of the songs with my band, and I was like, oh, God, I totally forgot. It goes to 4-4 four, four here, and, the, and I tracked the metronome in 3-4. Mm. So the old thing that I was like, oh, I totally forgot. I used to use this all the time is I forgot about Fruity Loops and how right. Fruity Loops 20 is out of control, dude. It is so robust. I don't even you know would, what that is. I started with Fruity Loops 2000 whatever whatever it's it was in, dude download the free version today it, you'll be you'll be in dawson heaven it, it, i was like oh god oh yeah where's the cowbell do you have a cowbell um but it, it's it's amazing and i totally forgot i used to i mean i used to do all of my mp3s for drum beats that way back in the day mm-hmm. and i was just trying to think like there's got to be a program that could just make me a click that i can that i could then put in as an actual audio track to this um, because even though that, that's the only limitation I've really found that's bothered me about Adobe Audition, I couldn't get Pro Tools to open yesterday mm. with my band here. So I was like, you know what? Screw it. I'm done. That was it. That was mm. your last chance. Sorry, PT. Um, so yeah, so check out, check out Fruity Loops 20. You can get a free download just to check it out. But if you want to make really, really... I mean, if you want to make a click track, that was pretty easy to do. But if you want to make really long patterns and synths and and it is a daw as well you can record into it if mm-hmm. you want um so it, it's pretty cool um i don't know what the paid version is i'm just i just needed to make a click track <laughs> i just needed it for a week nice um but i'll probably i'll probably pay for it and i just forgot how cool that thing is and i forgot how much that program influenced the groove scribe okay. that's what i was using when lou and i created the groove scribe and he's like well, what do you want i'm like just give me some dots give me 16 dots and let me fill them in and then it makes notes because <laughs> that's what fruity loops does for audio and you know, um, just the visualization of it was definitely based off Fruity Loops for sure. So sweet, yeah. There you go. All right. So my pick of the week is a record that came out just twenty nine years ago. <laughs> oh, sweet! That it can't be that old. Uh, Nineteen ninety one. I. That's now you're asking me to do math, but okay. That's that just sounds old for how 19 years ago. How does that work? Okay, well, I can tell you right now that record holds up, man. That thing still sounds great. Yeah, so it's Sting's record, The Soul Cages. We t- we featured Manu Caché a couple episodes ago, and I went down the rabbit hole of, of his stuff. Um, and I always kind of lean more towards the Peter Gabriel things, and then I forgot that he did this pinnacle record. It's the record before Vinny joined, so it was Manu. Yep. 
and then Vinny did the tour. So I knew the the live versions of all this stuff, but I never really spent time really listening to Manu's playing on these classic songs. And I told you before we started, I don't think there's another drummer on earth who, if they would have been hired to do that record, would have done as interesting, as musical, as creative, as funky as of a job as what Manu did. Every track has stuff you're like, no one else on earth would have thought to do that right there. Putting a huge snare drum downbeat on one every four bars, like... Who does yeah. that? Playing the B completely backwards during the B section. Who does that? All the little colorful splash symbol things. Yeah, I mean, it's funny. I remember thinking a long time ago, wow, Sting is so privileged. He gets to obviously pick any drummer he wants. and He's always picking the best drummers. And then when you look back on it, he picked a very few, very select drummers. He like, hasn't had a lot of drummers. No. You've got Omar, Manu, and Vinny, and obviously now Josh, but I mean, Josh hasn't recorded with him, right? He's on the new record. Yeah. It's like oh, called okay. My Songs, I believe, is a new record. And that's ju- that's in you know 2019. Yeah. So um, it's actually a very select few. Because you think to like some of those great Sting tracks, it's like, ah, I wonder what Keltner would have sounded like on that. I wonder what Matt Chamberlain, I'm sorry, um, yeah, Matt Chamberlain would have sounded like on that. Yeah. And um, Am I... Yeah, I'm, God, you got me all messed up with Jimmy Chamberlain. I'm like, I'm not talking about the guy from the Pumpkins, <laughs> although it'd be cool. That's not what I'm talking about. Yeah, I mean, um, and so it's it's uh, he's actually been very select with the drummers, and Manu's playing in Sting songs is quite different than Omar's and Vinny's. Yeah, you know? it's so lyrical and so free. That's yeah. that's what I'm yep. learning. Like, I think it's I think of if you think of straight ahead jazz, like the Roy Haynes approach, where it sounds like he's playing a lot of notes, but it's just perfect. Like it's just perfectly placed spots where the drums jump out in the front. Mm. And it's just yeah. so lyrical, so poetic. So that's, yeah, that album is kind of killing me. I like, I listened to it six times over the past two days. Out of boy. Just nonstop, nonstop. Nice. So that's the soul cages by sting with the great minor cachet. And I think also the snare drum sound became what Vinny adopted while he was totally sting. Dude, when you hear that first snare on Mad About You, yeah. um, oh my gosh, that's like, oh, that's uh, that's the same snare sound that Vinny gets on I Hung My Head yeah, later, yeah. you know, on the next album. And so, yeah, very Great cool record. stuff. Great record. All right, everybody, we'll have an amazing week. Sorry for the delay, but we did want to make sure that we recapped PASIC properly. And I think a 45-minute rundown of your weekend was good. <laughs> We went deep, yeah. dude. Well, but I that mean, was awesome because I mean, it was like a feature of some of the greatest drummers in the world to, the to talk about it like I that. Like I really we, enjoyed it. We kind of take advantage of it. Happens every year. Like these are. This is such a rare thing in the universe to have yeah. some of the greatest artists. And we just talked about drum set. We didn't even talk about all the well, other percussion. stuff that yeah, was going of on. Course. So yeah, I think it was important. And special thanks to everyone at PAS for keeping this train moving because it's it's so vital. Absolutely. All right, so we All get to right. hear you stumble through eulogy. Actually, no, you, you did oh a great God. job with it. <laughs> no, dude. That was a five-minute prep. Get the mics on. No excuses. Just, no excuses. Fine, fine, <laughs> fine. All I right. recorded 40 videos in the last week. <laughs> See you next time. <laughs> Whatever. <laughs> do ding, do ding, do ding, do ding. Do ding. <laughs>